Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out front next, fears of an expanding war. The U.S. Navy intercepting a barrage of missiles in the Red Sea as Israel says it is being attacked from seven directions. Plus, former President Trump telling his foes to, quote, rot in hell as the FBI investigates death threats against the Colorado judges who ruled to keep Trump off the state's 2024 ballot. And a CNN investigation. A California man scammed out of more than a million dollars. It all started with a simple text message. And you'll never believe who is really behind it. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erica Hill, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, fears of a widening war and of greater U.S. involvement in the Middle East. The U.S. Navy intercepting a barrage of missile and drone attacks in the Red Sea today over a 10-hour period. And these are just the latest in a growing number of targeted attacks in the area. They also come just one day after President Biden directed strikes against a militia group in Iraq that injured three U.S. soldiers in a drone attack. Iraq now accusing the U.S. of, quote, hostile acts. All of this raising questions and concern about how deeply the U.S. is being drawn into this expanding conflict in the Middle East. Israel's defense chief, meantime, says his country is facing a, quote, multi-arena war with attacks coming from seven different directions. Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, the West Bank, Yemen, Iran, and Iraq. And he offered this blunt warning. I say here in the most explicit way, Anyone who acts against us is a potential target. There is no immunity for anyone. Iran, with its own threat, vowing to take revenge after an alleged Israeli airstrike in Syria killed a senior member of Iran's Revolutionary Guard. The U.S., for its part, still trying to de-escalate the war between Israel and Gaza as one of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's closest confidants, Ron Dermer, meeting at the White House today with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Dermer is in Washington for high-level meetings on the next phase of the war as the situation in Gaza deteriorates and hostage talks appear stalled. The face-to-face meeting comes just two days after Biden and Netanyahu had what Biden referred to as a, quote, long talk about Gaza. Will Ripley is out front for us in Tel Aviv. So will Israel today uh, also saying that it's used ground, air and naval forces to hit terror targets inside Gaza. What more can you tell us about those strikes and what's happening on the ground? 
Erica, what is concerning right now for people in Gaza is that many of them, uh, two million or so, are displaced uh, largely out of the north and they're in the central parts of Gaza and the south. And that is where Israel is intensifying its military operation tonight. That's why you have seen over the last 48 hours some of the deadliest periods that we've seen since this war began around 80 days ago. The death toll nearing 21,000 tonight, more than double that, nearly 55,000 injured, according to the Hamas-controlled health ministry, with no end in sight. The terrifying sound of ongoing bombardment, Israeli shells hitting targets. Closer and closer to this UN-run school in central Gaza. For thousands sheltering here, it's time to move again. Families forced to flee for their lives, and this is not the first or even second time for many. Once again, they carried the war-torn pieces of their lives in pursuit of elusive safety. Just days earlier, many here vowed they would never move again, never. A vow they're now willing to break, only because they know their children's lives are at stake. There's no safety in the school. We're looking for a safer place. I'm leaving because of the intensity of the airstrikes and the suffering. Everywhere else is crowded. There's no guarantee they'll find a spot. But what else can they do? Even if they have nowhere else to go, they can't stay here. They don't want to die here. The scene, a grim reminder of what their parents and grandparents endured in 1948, when Zionist militias forced them out of their hometowns. In the cold winter, blankets and mattresses are precious commodities. Cars and the fuel that run them are scarce. Those who can't afford it hire donkey carts. For the rest, it's a long trek on foot. It's very tough back there, he says. Bombs are falling on people everywhere. People were injured there. We don't know where we're heading. Everywhere is under threat. We're just moving with the rest of the people. The destination for many, relatives' homes. A roof over their heads, even if they are in neighborhoods already devastated by Israeli airstrikes. Street battles raging across Gaza. Turning areas north and south of the Strip into ghost towns. The scars of battle, raw. We are in a multi-arena war. We are being attacked from seven different sectors. Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Judea and Samaria. Iraq, Yemen and Iran. Iran's allies in the region engaging in low-level hostilities in response, they say, to Israel's war in Gaza. Yemen's Houthi attacking ships, ships they claim are Israeli-affiliated, turning the Red Sea into a dangerous route for world trade. Iran's vow to avenge the killing of an Iranian commander in Syria, sparking renewed concerns of expanding the conflict. Especially on the Lebanese-Israeli border, artillery fire with the Iran-backed Hezbollah, keeping both countries on edge since October 8th. And uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu writing an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal spelling out what it will take for peace. He said Israel must destroy Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize the whole of Palestinian society. Erica, getting there is a very long way away from where we are right now here in Israel and across the Gaza Strip tonight.
We'll appreciate the reporting tonight. Thank you. Uh, Oren Lieberman is live at the Pentagon for us this hour. So, Oren, the U.S. Navy intercepting more missile and drone attacks over the Red Sea by an Iranian-backed militia. What more do we know about this? Will mentioned the Red Sea right in his piece there, and that is where the focus was earlier today. Over a 10-hour period, U.S. Navy forces operating in the southern Red Sea intercepted a barrage they say was launched from Houthi-controlled areas of southern Yemen. The Houthis are an Iranian proxy that operates out of Yemen and has carried out attacks in the past on commercial and maritime shipping, attacks that have forced many major shipping companies to avoid the Red Sea. In this case, over a 10-hour period, U.S. Central Command says they intercepted 12 one-way attack drones or suicide drones, three anti-ship ballistic missiles, and two land attack cruise missiles fired from the Houthis. So that, a very substantial barrage there, intercepted over the southern Red Sea. U.S. Central Command says there were no injuries or reports of damage to shipping as a result of the barrage. But the attacks speak to the ferocity which with, the, which, with which the Houthis see their actions and their operations. They say these actions are in solidarity with the Palestinian people, and they say, or at least a Houthi spokesman says uh, on social media, that they targeted a ship that hadn't responded to Houthi naval forces. The U.S. Navy assets that responded to this barrage, the USS Laboon, a destroyer, as well as F-18 fighter jets from the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group operating in the area. Those ships there as part of a multinational uh, U.S. Uh, essentially coalition to try to deal with the threat, the threat from the Houthis and the threat the U.S. sees emanating originally from Iran. And yet it is still a major concern. The U.S. has tried to separate the war in Gaza from the rest of the region, but as you can see from what we're talking about here and the number of different areas that the Israeli defense minister mentioned there, the U.S. has been unsuccessful in entirely separating Gaza from the conflicts in the rest of the region. Yeah, absolutely, Orrin. Appreciate it tonight. Thank you. Out front now, retired Armor Lieutenant General Ben Hodges and Nimrod Novik, former security advisor to the Israeli government, who is also involved now in informal talks with Egyptian officials over Gaza. Good to have both of you with us tonight. General Hodges, picking up on what we just heard from Orrin there, the reporting about the U.S., the U.S. intercepting more attacks now over the Red Sea, the U.S. hitting targets in Iraq and Syria before that. U.S. troops, as we know, have been targeted. How real do you think these fears are tonight of the U.S. being dragged into a widening war in the region? Well, uh, first of all, congratulations to uh, the U.S. Navy uh, for how well they um, are defending shipping in the region against these attacks. Uh, the United States um, is not going to be drug into a conflict. We, we have strategic interest here. And um, interesting what Oren just said, that the administration is trying to separate Hamas from the other attacks, but clearly Iran is at the center of all of this. These, these are not different incidents. These are all connected to Iran, which, by the way, uh, is Russia's closest ally. And so I think the United States has to step back and take a broader, more strategic approach to how we address these challenges. Uh, just real quickly, broader and more strategic, how much more strategic? Well, uh, first you have to see that, that they are connected. I mean, we've got to isolate Iran from Russia, uh, which will have benefits, obviously, in helping Ukraine, but also uh, isolating Iran from the rest of the world, economically, diplomatically, and militarily. As, as proud as I am of what our Navy has done, this is, these are defensive activities. We need to be on the uh, thinking in terms of deterrence, which means mm -hmm. flattening every place from which these missiles are coming. 
Uh, Nimmer, when we look at this, um, one of Prime Minister Netanyahu's closest confidants, Ron Dermer, meeting uh, with Biden officials today, as you know, as we know, the administration has really been pushing for some de-escalation here. How much sway does the Biden administration, does the U.S. in general have with Netanyahu? Uh, they do substantially, uh, naturally. I mean, uh, we we didn't need the last round in order to demonstrate the extent to which Israel needs U.S. backing um, from the lesser uh, importance uh, stage of uh, blocking U.N. Security Council resolutions uh, hostile to Israel, uh, important in there and of themselves, but not at the same measure as uh, the resupply of weapons and uh, ammunitions that are flying in from uh, the U.S. on a daily basis. What the Israeli forces are using tomorrow came from Washington yesterday. So uh, the leverage is there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the prime minister sent his uh, closest advisor, Ron Derma, in order to deal with two clusters of issues. One is indeed to try and de-escalate and change the mode of operation uh, of uh, to, to deal with American demand. Uh, that Israel changes the mode of operation in Gaza in order to reduce uh, civilian uh, casualties uh, and and start bringing the war to an end in a few months. Uh, but the other cluster is no less uh, significant, uh, and that's the difference between them on the question of the morning after, uh, where the Biden administration, uh, reflecting a regional consensus, says that no country will contribute to the Gaza after uh, unless two conditions are met. One, it is sponsored by the Palestinian Authority, and two, it is in the context of a political horizon. When we look at the state of affairs today, um, Israel's defense minister noting, as you just heard, the country is facing attacks from seven different directions, uh, north, south, the east. General Hodges, when you look at the situation there on the ground, how long can Israel continue this war in Gaza at this same intensity as the threats continue to grow on all sides? Well, clearly, Erica, the uh, Israeli government uh, has settled in for a very long conflict. We've heard that, that language from leaders uh, of the Netanyahu government. Um, certainly, support from the United States will be important, but the Israelis have a very large military, and they've, you know, they have been surrounded by enemies or potential enemies since their uh, creation in 1948. So I, I think they, they're not going to run out of ammunition or, or that sort of thing. Um, but I do think that the, their economy, obviously, is going to be suffering. To have this many soldiers mobilized for this period of time and to conduct operations like this is also expensive. What concerns me the most is that the, is the absence. And I think about this as if I were an IDF soldier, an Israeli soldier. The mission given to me by the prime minister is kinetic only. It only talks about destroy Hamas and make Gaza to demilitarize Gaza. Um, the third condition that the prime minister laid out in his Wall Street Journal opinion piece talked about the de-radicalization of the Palestinian society. But the instructions that I've received as the military are all kinetic. There's no political dimension that tells me 
hey, when this is all over, we've got to be able to live with our our Arab mm-hmm. neighbors, our Palestinian neighbors. I think this is this is going to make it extremely difficult for them to accomplish their objective. As we look at it, this comes back to that morning after what happens on the other side. I do want to get your take, Nimrod, on this um, Egyptian peace proposal. Both Hamas and Islamic Jihad rejected it. It would have called for a military pause to release some hostages in exchange of bodies being held on both sides and a swap of thousands of Palestinian prisoners for the remaining Israeli hostages. In your mind, is there anything that you see as a plan that could work for both Israel and Gaza? The gap, uh, well, it was rejected also by Israel and primarily for the third part of, uh, of the deal that the Egyptians put to the table, uh, which was um, a comprehensive uh, uh, hostages uh, for prisoners uh, uh, swap uh, accompanied by an end of hostility. Um, and Israel wouldn't commit to that at this time. I think the gap between the two parties is far too wide uh, for such an ambitious plan. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite puzzling that uh, the Egyptians were probably the most experienced mediators between Israel and Hamas. Uh, they have uh, mediated all ceasefires over the past more than a decade, uh, put on the table a plan that uh, I think they knew uh, that uh, would be rejected. Um, so one, one wonders whether it was just a, placing a marker uh, mm-hmm. in order to put themselves at the center of those things. As you know, they are in competition with Qatar, uh, that sees things quite differently and support Hamas, whereas uh, Egypt does not. Um, so, uh, and it was important for them to show Washington uh, and the hostile Congress uh, that Egypt is relevant to uh, U.S. national security interests. So, I think that's what drove putting forward uh, the ambitious plan. But I would not be surprised if they are working on another one under the radar. We'll be watching uh, for any news of that. Gentlemen, appreciate your insight tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Out front next, Donald Trump's holiday message not exactly dripping in Christmas spirit among his wishes for his foes to, quote, rot in hell. Plus death threats against the Colorado judges who ruled to remove Trump from the 2024 ballot in that state. Now the FBI is involved. And a CNN investigation into seemingly innocent text messages that have now scammed Americans out of billions. I can never forget or forgive myself using that kind of money. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, Donald Trump waiting on Jack Smith's next move, which could come at any moment. Team Trump urged a federal appeals court over the weekend in a filing to rule that the former president has immunity from criminal prosecution. And while they wait for that response, Trump himself is keeping busy attacking Smith on social media. His latest post tonight singling out the special counsel, writing, quote, Biden's flunky, deranged Jack Smith should go to hell. That's on the heels of Trump slamming Smith in a series of Christmas Day messages, including this one. Merry Christmas to all, including crooked Joe Biden's only hope, deranged Jack Smith, the out-of-control lunatic. May they rot in hell. Again, just for good measure here, Merry Christmas. Jessica Schneider is out front. So, Jess, um, as everyone is waiting, is there any indication on when we may see that response from Jack Smith? So, Erica, the special counsel actually has to file by midnight on Saturday. So, really, his team could get their arguments into the appeals court at any point this week. You know, they are already dealing with a loss from late last week. That's when the Supreme Court refused to take up their appeal immediately. You know, they wanted it before uh, them to take it up before the intermediate uh, appeals court. And the reason that Jack Smith wanted to speed this up was because all proceedings in the case are on pause right now while this appeals process plays out. So, the appeals court here in D.C. They will, in fact, take the next step. They'll hear the case pretty quickly. The arguments will be January 9th, but that still really means the case will be delayed until at least mid-January, which makes that March 4th trial date the special counsel had been aiming toward a lot less likely. And Erica, that's actually really good news for Trump's legal team because they have been making delay a big part of their defense strategy. And they already have a lot to contend with as we head into 2024. So first up is the civil case against Trump for death. Uh, for defamation. That's from E. Jean Carroll. That is still slated to start in mid-January unless his legal team can figure out a way to delay, which they actually said they've been working on. And the Manhattan DA's hush money criminal case, that's also set to start in March. The DA, though, Alvin Bragg, he signaled that he could be open to moving that start date if it conflicted with other cases. So really, Erica, Trump's team, they're going to be working on a lot in the final days of 2023, but even more going into the beginning of 2024 when the campaign season heats up and all these legal cases really start swirling. Yeah, certainly keeping everybody busy. I also wanted to ask you, Jessica, about um, this reporting that the FBI is now involved, now investigating these threats which were made against the Colorado judges who ruled to disqualify Trump, uh, to take him off the state's 2024 ballot. What more do we know about the specifics of these threats? Yeah, our team's been looking into it, and really the threats have mostly been made online on message boards. There are groups monitoring these sites, and they're saying that the names of those four Colorado Supreme Court justices who did rule to disqualify Trump from the primary ballot there— Their names have frequently appeared in posts, but really there haven't been any specific threats. Mm -hmm. We are seeing um, one in particular. There was one user on a far-right pro-Trump website that posted really a profanity-laden message calling for the justices in Colorado to be hanged. So the FBI is working with local law enforcement in Colorado to really closely monitor all of this. Um, Erica, there was a police response to one of the justices' homes last Thursday, but apparently that threat reported was just a hoax. So law enforcement, regardless, is taking this very seriously, especially because there's been a surge of threats in the past year against public officials. So they're taking it very 
seriously, particularly in Colorado right now. Yeah, Erica. absolutely. Jessica Schneider, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, out front now is Katie Cherkasky, criminal defense attorney and former federal prosecutor. Katie, um, when we go back to looking at where things stand with Jack Smith, um, how do you expect him to respond? As Jessica pointed out, he has until he and the team have until midnight on Saturday. But how do you expect him to respond to this latest filing by the former president's team? Well, the response to the question of immunity is, is obviously very significant because the overarching question of whether a president, President Trump or really any sitting U.S. president, is immune from prosecution is the ultimate question that overrides all of the criminal cases that exist, including even potentially the Georgia case, which is a state case. So I would anticipate that the big focus for Jack Smith and his team will be to narrow in on the fact that the actions that Trump is accused of in the indictment fall outside the scope of his official duties as the president, and therefore he is not immune from prosecution for them. They're going to have to kind of walk a fine line with that, though, because there are so many instances where we look at what a president is doing in their conduct, and they're essentially an entire branch of government in one person. So where you draw that line is going to be the ultimate question here. And it will be very interesting to see exactly how Jack Smith's side proposes that be done versus what the, the Trump lawyers have argued. So many people watching it very, very closely. Um, I'd just like to get your take on these continued social media attacks that we see on Jack Smith. How far is too far? Well, I, in terms of President Trump's opinion, I don't think you're going to be finding any criminal defendant who would feel very differently about a prosecutor going after them. Now, in terms of what his speech is that is protected versus what is subject to gag orders, that has been obviously the subject of a lot of litigation here. And I think when we're talking about personal opinions about, you know, go to hell, things that are more amorphous and not specific directed threats that would actually fall under a criminal statute, you're going to run into any sort of enforcement with the, the First Amendment issues. And so certainly I think a big part of Trump's platform is that the DOJ is corrupt, that Jack Smith is particularly corrupt. He's the one who's gone after him in this way. So I think that's going to be allowed to stand under the current status of the gag orders. There's always, again, a fine line there, though, where there is actionable threats that can be subjected to gag orders despite First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. So I think in this respect, these particular statements probably fall within the allowable side of things. And certainly not surprising. We all know Trump's stance on him at this point. But there is always that opportunity that he could cross that line and there could yeah. be action taken. Really quickly before I let you go, when we talk about threats and actions, looking at what's happening in Colorado, the FBI now investigating these threats against the Colorado judges there. Um, their names, as Jessica pointed out, had been put out there on some extreme online forums. How concerned are you, especially for someone who is in the legal profession, as you watch all of this play out? Does it feel that this is becoming the new normal? How much of a concern is that? Well, I think that the American citizens have a right to express their displeasure, as it were, at certain legal rulings. Obviously, if people choose to violate criminal laws and go past the point of simply expressing opinions and issue threats, they can and should be held accountable under criminal laws. Whether Trump is directly connected to that, which I think is kind of the big kind of open question in the room, that's going to be probably a stretch unless there's some sort of direct connection that could be made by a prosecutor. But certainly, I, I think it's very unfortunate, but not surprising that this is what's what's been going on here. Katie, good to have you with us tonight. Thank you.
Thank you. Out front next, you're going to hear from the mayor of one border town overwhelmed by migrants. His message tonight to lawmakers as his city struggles. And Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny says he is exhausted but alive after disappearing nearly three weeks ago. Why his new prison location has his team even more concerned tonight? Just hours from now, Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be arriving in Mexico. This is concerns continue to grow about the surge of migrants at the border and a lack of answers or action in Washington. Rosa Flores is out front. As a migrant caravan forms in southern Mexico with thousands from Central and South America, the scene on the U.S. southern border in Eagle Pass, Texas, has changed. The areas where thousands of migrants were waiting outdoors to be transported for immigration processing last week were emptied out this week. The flow this morning appearing to be down to a trickle. A senior Customs and Border Protection official telling CNN that while the scene in Eagle Pass has improved, the agency is not out of the woods yet. CBP still grappling with elevated numbers of migrant encounters on the U.S. southern border. More than 11,000 migrants are waiting in shelters in northern Mexico, 3,800 in Tijuana, 3,200 in Reynosa, 4,000 in Matamoros. Many hoping to enter legally, but some opting to cross illegally, say community leaders. U.S. federal authorities reported a seven-day average of more than 9,600 migrant encounters in December. That number was 6,800 at the end of November. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is scheduled to meet with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador Wednesday in Mexico City. The Biden administration is expected to put pressure on Mexico to do more to stem the flow of migrants. To deal with the flow, CBP has temporarily suspended operations at several ports of entry in several states to reassign personnel to process migrants. This, as CNN learns from a CBP official, that the surge is in part driven by pseudo-legitimate travel agencies abroad that promise trips to the U.S. but instead connect travelers to smugglers south of the border. That might explain this recent scene in Arizona. I work for CNN, and I'm wondering where you're from. What country you're from? Senegal. Senegal? Senegal? Senegal, everybody from Senegal. Smugglers are dropping off 500 to 1,000 migrants in remote areas of Arizona, the official said, creating a logistical nightmare for Border Patrol agents who have to find ways to transport them for immigration processing. For the volunteers who distribute water to migrants in the desert, it's the children who get them every time. It's heartbreaking when you see the, the little children. Now back to those 11,000 migrants in northern Mexican cities. One shelter director telling me that some of those migrants know that they don't qualify for asylum in the U.S., but asylum is the law in the United States. And so many of them are still trying to enter the United States and plan to seek asylum. Many of them blinded by the videos and voice messages that they've received from other migrants who have crossed the border, turned themselves in to immigration authorities, and have been released to American communities. Rosa, Erica, appreciate the important reporting as always. Thank you. Uh, out front now, Rolando Salinas. He is the mayor of Eagle Pass, Texas. Mr. Mayor, good to have you with us. Um, you know, as we just heard from Rosa, a CBP official who told her that in Eagle Pass specifically, the scene has improved. They're not out of the woods yet. With Secretary of State Blinken set to meet with Mexico's president tomorrow, I'm curious, what would your message be to these leaders about the crisis at the border, about what you are seeing firsthand and the impact that this lack of action in Washington is having on your city? I want to tell our leaders, well, thank you for having me, first of all, that this is unacceptable. Our city here in Eagle Pass, we've been getting slammed with two to 3,000 people a day. 
and it's just a, an unfair, unethical situation. What's going on here in Eagle Pass? We feel ignored by the federal government. I've called to the government that we need action. There needs to be a consequence to so many people crossing illegally. If somebody breaks the law, there needs to be a consequence. And right now, there are no, no consequences. That's why you have thousands of people coming in through my city, and it's impacting our citizens every single day in many ways. You said you feel ignored, uh, that you've reached out, you've called on the federal government. Has there been any response? No response whatsoever. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, about two weeks ago, he had the audacity to visit Uvalde, Texas, about 45 minutes away. He didn't come to visit the situation here in Eagle Pass, Texas. I've made a call to our president, our vice president. We need action. There needs to be a message to these people that you, if you want to come to the U.S., you have to do it in a legal manner. And if you don't, there, there will be consequences. Until we start deporting these people, they're going to keep coming. And they're going to keep affecting the economy, the safety of my my community. And it's just very, very frustrating that the United States of America doesn't care about the safety, the security of the border. Um, over the weekend, I was struck by some comments from the sheriff of Maverick County, which, of course, Eagle Pass in Maverick County, who spoke about some of the challenges that he's facing because of the border crisis. I want to play some of that for you. On the law enforcement side. We're suffering because we don't have the manpower to take care of uh, what we call the local business, the criminal elements, and then the immigration problem. So uh, it, it's, it's costing us a lot of manpower. Are you seeing the same thing? Would you agree specifically from, from law enforcement's perspective? 100%. Here in Eagle Pass, we have about uh, 45 uniform officers on every, every day. We have to help and assist Border Patrol agents with the undocumented immigrant situation and that takes those resources away from our community and that's why you see an increase in crime in people walking around our neighborhoods it's definitely had an impact in our local resources we just don't have the manpower the ems the the police officers to keep this city safe with so many people coming in through our borders in an illegal manner so the sheriff is absolutely correct when we look at to um, what's happening with the migrants once they get here, CNN reporting hundreds of migrants are being transported out of your city each day to try to ease that pressure a little bit. But one of the nonprofits that's been receiving migrants says it's really at a breaking point with no end in sight. How do you see an end to this crisis happening? Is it simply, as you point out, and I shouldn't say simply because it's actually, it's, as we know, it isn't always that easy. Is it deporting people? Is it a more forceful message because there is that message out there of don't come to the United States illegally. I mean, what is one thing you see that could lead to an end to this crisis? It, 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 it starts with hearing the message from the president of the United States, the vice president of the United States. They've been very quiet on the situation. It's very disappointing that they haven't made that message themselves that you can't come into this country illegally, one, and second, yes, of course, there has to be a consequence to somebody breaking the law. People know that they're processing them quick. That's why they keep coming. Mm -hmm. So until we start deporting people in large amounts, this will continue to keep going. Mayor Orlando Salinas, appreciate your perspective tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Out front next, Alexei Navalny finally found 
in Siberia at one of Russia's harshest prisons 20 days after going missing. His top aide tells us how he's doing and why tonight she is even more concerned. Plus, a new CNN investigation uncovers a major texting scam. Please help me. I don't know what else I can do. I don't have any more money. Who's behind the con that has now scammed Americans out of billions? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, Putin critic Alexei Navalny finally found alive after missing for 20 days. The Russian opposition leader posting on social media today through his aides that he's been transferred to a notoriously harsh prison in Siberia, calling his 3,700-mile trek to get there an exhausting and strange route. You can see that journey roundabout there on the screen. Out front now, Maria Pepchik, Navalny's close aide who runs his anti-corruption foundation. Maria, Navalny in this post today talking about this nearly 4,000-mile journey, sounding pretty upbeat, but it has clearly been a grueling nearly three weeks for him. When we spoke with you last, you had talked about him recently surviving a poisoning, about the major health troubles he's been dealing with. Can you give us an update tonight as to his condition, how he's doing? Well, we have located him just yesterday, after 20 days of not knowing where he is and what's happening with him, we found him in the village of Harp. Um, this is this is rather far away. This is um, um, above our, our Arctic Circle, kind of northern Siberia, part of Russia, where it's uh, very difficult uh, to, 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 to get to. And uh, the lawyer managed to see Navalny only briefly. So um, we don't really know. Uh, many details yet, but hopefully soon um, he may be well right about his journey in a more uh, detailed way. We know that he's relatively okay. We know that he seems fine-ish, well, given the circumstances and uh, given the complete isolation that that he's in. Uh, and and that's that's all we know really to, 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 to this mm-hmm. day. So the good news uh, is that uh, he's alive. Um, and, and the bad news is that um, we know that um, they, they will try, they will keep doing this to, to him. And this is known as one of the harshest prisons in Russia, which is really saying something. The U.S. State Department uh, saying it really welcomes the news, of course, that he's been located. But as you're alluding to here, it sounds that you are generally concerned he could go missing again at any time. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been 20 days and, and um, these were very difficult 20 days. And I, 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 and I have to say thank you to everybody who helped us um, talk about it, who helped us spread information, including CNN, including all the people in social media who tweeted, who wrote Instagram posts, who kept asking the question, where is Navalny? So that public pressure mm-hmm. this time allowed us to, 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 to locate him 
quicker than than expected. You- and um, but 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 sadly, without without this public attention, without the support of uh, so many people who are giving us information, who are giving us clues, we wouldn't be able to do it. You mentioned that his lawyer only had brief access to him. This particular penal colony, this area where he is now that is so harsh, does that impact his team's access to him? Of course, it impacts it massively. Um, well, imagine it's, um, it's, it's, it's a little village um, where, as I said, above the, above the um, Arctic Circle, where nights, where, where nights and days are you know, mm-hmm. polar and can be like two hours of daylight a day like it is now. It is uh, virtually impossible to get there. You have to fly to the closest airport and then drive to get to this village over a frozen river. When this river isn't frozen in summer, you have to take a ferry or some other form of transportation to to, to be able to get there. This is a very, very isolated place. And on top of it, this specific uh, penal colony in Kharp doesn't allow incoming correspondence. So we won't be able to send letters to Navalny like, like we used to, or perhaps we would be, but with a massive, massive delay, uh, mm-hmm. which will make them ineffective. So the degree of Navalny's isolation has increased dramatically compared to his previous prison near Moscow. Maria Pepchuk, really appreciate your time tonight and also that insight into what he is now facing uh, in this place. Thank you. Thank you. Out front next to CNN investigation into the sneaky scams masquerading as legitimate investments, one that has now built Americans out of billions. The bad guys are getting good and they're getting better. Plus, if you got the latest version of the Apple Watch for Christmas, well, consider yourself lucky. Why the newest version of the best-selling watch is being pulled from store shelves here in the U.S. Tonight, a new CNN investigation. Americans cheated out of billions in a scam being run out of forced labor camps. Ivan Watson is out front. (laughs) Please help me, Jessica. Please help me. It's been a living hell. In Northern California, CY is piecing together his life after losing more than a million dollars in a crypto scam. I can never forget or forgive myself losing that kind of money. CY is one of tens of thousands of victims of a fast-growing new form of financial fraud called pig butchering. He asks to remain anonymous to protect his family. It started in October 2021 with a text message from a stranger. What was the name of the person you were communicating with? She claims her name is Jessica. The two quickly became friends. She shared photos, and CY talked about the pain of caring for his dying father. After nearly a month, the conversation turned to money. She started to uh, uh, introduce me into cryptocurrency, trading gold uh, using cryptocurrency. Jessica showed CY how to invest by installing a trading app on his phone that he says looked legit. Little did he know he was a victim pumping money into a sophisticated con. For the scammers, a pig fattened up for the slaughter. I logged back in. The account is gone. What did I do? That's 30 years of my wife and my, my life building up this, this wealth. Wealth that had suddenly disappeared. Panicking, CY begged Jessica for help. 
Please help me. I don't know what else I can do. I don't have any more money. I cannot borrow anything else. I lost everything. But Jessica disappeared and probably never even existed. This is the professionalization of fraud services. The FBI says it's seen exponential growth in losses due to pig butchering scams. The bad guys are getting good and they're getting better. An organization representing scam victims tracked their crypto transfers halfway around the world to this border region in Myanmar. U.S. scam victims say they've been able to trace their money to places like this. This walled compound across the river is just inside the territory of Myanmar. And that is where we're learning about the conditions inside that some people who worked there, they say that they were forced against their will to try to scam Americans out of their hard-earned money in conditions that they describe as amounting to modern-day slavery. This compound is where an Indian man named Rakesh says he was forced to work for more than 11 months without pay for a Chinese criminal gang. The guards have spotted us. Until they recently released him back to Thailand. Where was the job supposed to be? They told for me in Bangkok. He too was the victim of a scam. Rakesh, who doesn't want to be identified, says he first flew to Thailand for what he thought was an IT job. Instead, he says he was tricked into crossing the border to Myanmar, where a Chinese gangster told him to work or else. He threatened to kill you. Uh, he warned me like that. And the job? Spend 16 hours a day on social media targeting Americans with a fake profile. Like they're providing for us. Uh, I got a Russian girl uh, with using a Russian girl fake profile. I need to scam the people. Posing as a Salt Lake City-based investor named Clara Simonov, Rakesh flirted online with potential targets. 70 to 80% fall for fake love. Rakesh shows secretly filmed images of what at first glance seems to be an ordinary office. But he says the bosses routinely punished workers, forcing them to do hundreds of squats and beating them if they didn't produce. And you've helped rescue people who are trapped inside behind the barbed wire yes. of that very compound. Yes. Michelle Moore is one of a group of aid workers based in Thailand who have helped rescue hundreds of victims of trafficking like Rakesh over the last 18 months. She drives me along the border. There, there's a guard tower just there, green roof. Showing compounds only a stone's throw away, where she says trafficked victims are forced to work as online scammers. That's why this is modern slavery. And it's right under everybody's nose. Satellite images show rapid construction of these compounds on the border territory of Myanmar over just three years. Thailand's Minister of Justice labels these facilities as hubs for criminal scamming activity. These scammers have to use telephone signals to communicate. That's why they base themselves near the Thai border, so they can use Thailand's telephone network. But he says Thailand has no jurisdiction to crack down on suspected criminals operating across the border in Myanmar. CNN asked the military government in Myanmar why it hasn't taken action against alleged criminal gangs operating on its territory and did not receive an answer. So for now, it looks like no one is going to stop this poisonous cycle of exploitation. Ivan Watson, CNN, on the Thai border with Myanmar.
Finally tonight, Apple forced to take the latest version of its watch off shelves here in the U.S. The International Trade Commission says the tech giant infringed on another company's patent. Apple asking the White House to step in, but to no avail. Apple has filed to appeal. Other retailers can continue to sell the remaining inventory of this version of the watch. They just can't restock. Thanks for joining us. AC360 starts right after this. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.